But choreographers can add a lot of magic where you've got a really complex, tricky problem with multiple parts that's dynamic, it's moving at the same time. And you need to be able to dive in and bring different stakeholders together, weave together a completely different vision and really craft something that is going to move multiple parts at the same time and meet different stakeholders' needs. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of Chaos and Rocket Fuel, the Future of Work podcast. This is the podcast that looks at every aspect of work in the future. It's brought to you by Wanda and Patton. And I am your host, Doug Folks, And along with me is my co-host, Claire Haydar. Claire is also the CEO at Wanda. Claire, we are busy chatting to Hannah and Dan about choreographers. If you missed the first episode, bring us up to speed on that. And what are we talking about specifically today. So Doug, as we pointed out in episode number one, this is not about dance choreographers. This is very much about a role that companies are starting to identify and and Hannah and Dan are actually putting a label on this and saying this is a critical role that exists in companies today, but hasn't necessarily been called out and recognized as such. And so we look at the bare basic definitions in segment one and now in segment two, we're starting to actually look at Okay, so yes, these people exist. What now? Should companies be actively hiring for them? Should job specs be written, you know, about this role? What exactly is their importance? What is the ROI that they bring to companies? So very much the practical side of this, you know, like what do I'm an executive listening to this podcast. What do I do with this knowledge now? And how most importantly, do I just start at the very basic point of identifying the existing individuals who are choreographers in my organization. Fantastic. Let's uh, continue our conversation with Hannah and Dan. Yes, let's do it. I'm going to jump in here. We've really now we know what, what choreographers are, what they do. Let's talk about some of the applications of that role. So my first question really is a, to both of you is who should be hiring choreographers at the moment? Well, I guess Where choreographers are brilliant is not where you have a really clearly defined project with a really set set of resources and a kind of controlled context in which to put it all together. For that, you need someone who has really strong project management skills. But choreographers can add a lot of magic where you've got a really complex, tricky problem with multiple parts that's dynamic, it's moving at the same time, and you need to be able to dive in and bring different stakeholders together, weave together a completely different vision and really craft something that is going to move multiple parts at the same time and meet different stakeholders' needs. So that's where, I mean, I think that kind of problem, as Dan said, is is growing in occurrence. We're seeing it more and more. And I think also um, we're seeing companies particularly in order to up their game in more competitive, more disruptive contexts, have to reconceive how they think about the spaces they're operating in and really think of them as more complex spaces. So any organisation or you know any initiative that is operating in that kind of complexity can make really good use of a choreographer. That might mean working only within your entity or it might mean like reaching out and forming really strong connections elsewhere. But that's what choreographers can help you do to really see beyond like the limits of your existing toolkit, of your existing org and existing kind of set of doing things in a certain way. I think it's really interesting to look at the growth of that problem space. 
you know, Hannah mentioned disrupted companies. You look at the fourth industrial revolution and, you know, the talk about all the technology changes, et cetera. The key themes underlying there are that the ecosystems that industries and businesses were built around aren't going to work the same in the future. And as a result, if you're going to survive as an organization, you have to reimagine what you are at some fairly fundamental level. And that kind of challenge, most organizations aren't prepared for unless you bring somebody in who has this ability to see weird things fitting together in new ways and imagine how you could actually make that work for your organization. So, you know, as more of these problem spaces emerge, I think we're going to see more and more organizations say, I need somebody who can step into that role for me. It just sort of dawned on me. I mean, we've been talking for over 20 minutes and the word collaboration hasn't cropped up at all. And it's a big part of what I'm seeing for a choreography is almost like a a very good collaborator on steroids. You just you say has this ability to take it further out and up to the next level all at the same time. Is that sort of a fair assumption? I think you might get a different answer here with Hannah and me. <laughs> Let me try my version first. I think collaborator is often imagined as somebody who's an incredibly good party planner. You know, they bring people together, they convene, they get people talking, or a negotiator and a bridge builder of like, I can establish a dialogue between people with different prospects. I would say choreographers are a little more meat and potatoes about it. They really have a vision of how things need to be connected. And so they're not simply bringing people together to talk. They're bringing people together to connect an ecosystem in a meaningful, actionable way. And as a result, there's more engineering, there's more strategy, there's more applied making all the pieces work together and getting the right trade-offs rather than simply sort of a a soft, comfortable version of of convening and, and collaboration. Yeah, they're not there just to rub people's backs and make people feel good. You know, they want to make action happen. And that's maybe the big difference. So it's collaboration, really, that's driven by a desire to do things, make things happen, not just allow people to feel heard and, and they're supported in that. So I had an interesting thought while post our preparation call for this podcast and then in compiling the framework of our conversation. To me, my husband and I have just recently um, become pilots and it definitely dawned on me that there's something, there's definitely a similarity between a pilot and a choreographer because essentially, and but yet at the beginning of this conversation, I actually thought, no, you know, when the innovation component came through so strongly that maybe that analogy wasn't right in my, in my mind. But now what you've just said about the meats and potatoes piece, the real actioning of that solution that they're seeing makes me go back to that pilot analogy. And the reason why I say that is because the main thing about piloting is not actually about flying the plane. 
because the systems are so sophisticated today that you actually have to turn them off to be able to go back to old-fashioned pilotage, like quite literally, which a lot of pilots choose to do to just get the thrill of that old-fashioned pilotage. Why the role of the pilot is still so critical is because it's the analysis of the whole environment, so the weather systems, the change in wind, the understanding of the weight and balance on the plane and how that's going to impact the performance within the given external factors. And it's the speed at which those external factors change where the pilot literally in real time, you know, set out with the plan, but the plan changes in real time. And the pilot has to adjust according to that and, and bring it all together to actually land the plane safely. And so I think it's not only the understanding of the constantly changing external variables, it's being able to navigate them. That's critical. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they think innovation, they think creativity. So like if you go to the, you know, a bookstore and look at innovation books, it's all about how do I come up with ideas? How do I be more brilliant? And, you know, we have, I think, a more practical definition of innovation, which is doing something new. And, you know, that practical making something new happen, yes, it involves ideation. Like, you got to come up with some ideas and things. But it also involves this architecture. It also involves the persuasion and bringing people along, as Canna was saying, with storytelling. But crucially, you're not done when you've laid out the plan. You've got to navigate this journey of shaping a complex ecosystem with lots of different people and putting that into place. And that's one of the big places where choreographers really step in is they're not just idea people. They're how do I pilot this change, this new vision of the way things could be into the future? And I would say they're really good at live learning. You know, so as a choreographer, you're dealing with like uncertainty. You don't know that what you're going to do is going to solve the problem, but you're going to try things and see what happens and stay really curious about what you're learning. So choreographers have to be embodying and demonstrating with everyone they're working with around them what live learning actually looks like and how you chart your course and change your course along the way. Contrast just real quickly the difference between live learning as a choreographer and fail fast from sort of an Eric Reese product model. It's not simply, I have a hypothesis, I test it yes or no, and if it fails, I come up with another hypothesis. It's, I'm looking at all the things around me and constantly using those to adapt my approach. So it's, it's many more variables, seeing how they fit together and adapting the entire solution rather than just running a bunch of one-off experiments where I can fail fast and just move on to the next one. What we're talking about here has two very distinct characteristics within the business specifically, okay? Is this is a highly disruptive person that causes stress to people around them and also at the same time, requires a certain amount of resources that can't really be, just like they themselves can't be constrained into a role, that can't really be constrained into a pre-planned budget. So we're talking about a scenario that requires some level of funding or cushion in a business to make this really work. Can you guys talk us through that and comment on that specifically? Firstly, 
how does a business hold space for this person and and navigate the chaos that they cause? And second one is how do we manage that financial component? So I think what choreographers really need in order to succeed is both protection. So they need to have a protected space in which they work. They need to have some leadership support to enable them to do what they're doing. They can't do everything successfully under the radar, like hiding away and operating kind of covert missions. They've got to be out there in the open. Um, But they also need to have um, freedom and some authority to make things happen. Um, And it's my experience. When I've been in a choreographer role within an organisation before, I maybe thought I had one of those things. turned out I didn't have the other. And, And therefore... I really wasn't able to be as impactful as I thought I was. So I might have had lots and lots of freedom, which I did actually. In fact, I could start and think about all sorts of different things, pick up conversations externally, internally with lots of different people to get things moving. But it turned out I really didn't have actually this this sort of freedom in that sense of having the authority to actually do things. And when it came to the kind of disruption and difficult conversations that you start, have someone back in your corner who's going to make sure that the work can continue. So it's a really important question for organisations that are thinking about having choreographers is to answer that and make sense of what that means in your business context, the right amount of space, the right amount of protection for choreographers to be effective. You know, one of the things we've said is that choreographers are very wed to these new problem spaces, you know, that we need to disrupt an industry or that we need to solve a big hard problem or that we need to expand out a pilot to really involve many more people and pieces. That's something the organization needs to commit to. So it's worth remembering that we're not simply saying you have to support the choreographer role. You also actually have to support the choreographer mission. So you have to have an organization that's ready to say, it's important for me to fundamentally change myself to compete in the marketplace. And if you're not ready to make that kind of mission commitment, no amount of protection of the choreographer is going to be enough. And I think I think that's really critical what you've pointed out there, Dan, because that's where my mind was going when I was alluding to the the, the funding cushion that I was referencing, because that's directly tied to shareholder buy-in. That's directly tied to strategy commitment, because this requires strategy. This requires, and that requires board sign-off, you know. And if you look at most companies today, um, I... <laughs> This is just my personal opinion. I, I could be proven completely wrong if we went and looked at the data and actually surveyed this, but I don't see a lot of choreographers sitting on boards, and I think that's a problem. I think choreographers tend to get fired from almost any job they hold. <laughs> exactly. So whether that's a board position or an executive, there was actually an interesting Bain study that showed that you know people with sort of the – NTNF personality types from a Myers-Briggs perspective were much more likely to be fired as executives than others. So I think the misfit, the tension of this disruptive person 
is going to be felt almost no matter where they're at, whether it's board, executives, in the middle of the organization. I think your analogy, though, earlier of having to turn off the autopilot, turn off all the equipment of the plane so that you can actually steer it is in some ways what needs to happen. Like organizations need to turn off some of the systems that keep the organization locked in its existing world so that the choreographers can help you pilot into a new space. How do you, how do you actually then employ or look for a choreographer? Because maybe in today's environment, it's not a, a job specification as such. It's, is it something that they're taken on a, in one role and then find that, okay, I've got this interest in this area. I like being a bit more disruptive. I like to have a little bit more authority. Where do choreographers live when they're not choreographers? Yeah, and I think, I think so part of it, Doug, is, I think, as I, is that they are hiding in plain sight often in parts of your company where, you, where maybe they haven't successfully climbed the ladder because actually their skill set and their interest hasn't served them in that direction. So they might be the, pe- the people who are asking really difficult questions and trying to start new things and linking up different people and projects together that maybe hadn't been thought of. So I, I do think they're often all around us and it's, it's just about looking differently at what the skills have that they present and what you need. If you value this role, I think you have to intentionally go and go and look for them, whether it's internally or externally, you know, be intentional about hiring this role and making them work well within an organization structure and think about what it is that they need in order to be successful. Like what is support appropriate to them in the environment in which they're operating? So how do they make sure they have the right kind of um, executive level sponsorship so that they have the permission to ask the bigger questions, to imagine perhaps a bigger system change, um, and perhaps to start asking different questions around how value is created in your org and, and really start challenging the things you've taken for granted. And how do you make sure that they have then the, both the freedom and the protection to be able to do their jobs really well? I think, Hannah, if I can ask you to get even a little bit more practical. Let's say, for example, myself, because if you look at our audience who's listening to this podcast, they're predominantly C-level executives in, you know, anything from mid-size to enterprise-level companies is, I listen to this podcast, I have my aha moment where I'm like, I need more choreographers So I either need to go unsurface them in my existing org or I need to actually go and headhunt them. We've spoken about the uncovering them inside the org. I think we've spoken about that pretty accurately. But let's say we have to go and headhunt them. Where would you start? Like, How would you actually go and headhunt this person? So actually, we've had an engagement where we've been headhunting for choreographers for an organization um, or enabling them to go headhunt. And the first step in that is really spelling out the nature of the job. So clearly describing what it is that you envision this role to be. Cross-cutting, big picture thinking, generalist, somebody who's going to help you invent a bigger solution to a hard problem. And what's interesting is for the people who are choreographers who read those types of job descriptions, they get really excited. So to an extent, getting a clear job description out there does a lot for you. And as we were doing interviews with these folks, uh, which were all the way from C-level to sort of mid 
manager, director level um, roles, you would find people saying, I've been doing this role my entire life. I never knew what it was that I was, but I guess I am this person. And so I think in some ways, the first pass here is just being very clear about the role and how it fits into your organization and being able to spell that out. I would suspect that two things are going to happen in the future as we go forward. One, there will become more general recognition around, around this role. So you'll have more official academic curriculums, et cetera. This is what we saw with you know, systems thinking and, and user-centered design. But you're also going to have more intense competition. So right now, I think simply saying, I've got a job for you that doesn't insult your talent will may be enough for you to get a good choreographer on board. Um, in the future, it's you're going to have to work harder to get these uniquely talented people. And if you want a starting point to think about how you kind of craft a job description that will help you find this person, we've got one on our website, which is a really good place to start. Amazing. We are definitely going to be linking back to that. Yeah. I think what you guys have both just said is is very similar to where we've seen engineering roles go, where, you know, before people were hiring front-end, back-end, you know, specialists in each of those areas, and that's where the full-stack engineer has emerged. There's a reason why they paid so much more than the single specialist engineer. It's because they full stack, it's because they work across the entire technology, life cycle, everything, you know what I mean? And that it's, it's very similar to that. And that is the end of part two of our conversation about the world of choreography with Hannah and Dan. If you missed the first part of our conversation, you can check it out on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts or on Wanda's website, wndyr.com. We'll conclude our chat shortly. From Claire and myself, we'll see you soon.